Uh, we're in Mark chapter 13, and if you have 849, uh, Mark chapter 13. Well, as we begin this morning, as you find your way to Mark chapter 13, I want to begin this morning with a little story. And this story is about a group of pastors one day who were standing alongside of a busy road. Uh, these pastors are standing outside the road, and they're holding up signs trying to get people's attention. And their signs read, The end is near. Destruction is ahead. Turn around before it is too late. The road you are on will lead to certain death. As people, as the pastors passionately waved their signs and encouraged people to stop and turn around, they became discouraged. People just drove by. Many drove by um, acting like they didn't even see the signs. Others drove by, just kind of shook their heads and went on. Others yelled out the window, go home. Well, after a short while, these pastors looked at one another. They looked at their signs, and one said to the other, maybe we should just make a sign that says, bridge out. (laughs) That's the effort of a pastoral joke. As we think about this idea, though, as we think about the end times, as we think about what's coming in our world, what's next, oftentimes we respond very much like the people driving by these pastors and their signs, that we drive by, it's like, I don't understand any of it, and so I'm just going to keep on going. Others shake their heads and thinking, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what this is all about. And others are just think, this is ridiculous, I don't want to listen to any of it anyway. Well, this morning we are going to be looking at a passage that Jesus is teaching, and it's in this Mark chapter 13. And in this passage, we see Jesus giving us some indication and telling us that we need to be getting ready. He is talking to us about the fact that the end of times are coming. Now, as he begins to describe this, he, he tells us in this that this time that is coming is going to be marked by earthquakes, by famines, by wars. Um, It is going to become by people leading people astray, false teachers. It is going to come when Christians are being put on trial for their faith. The passage we read last week talked about family members betraying one another, even to the point of death. As we ended last week's reading in chapter 13, verse 13, it says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And as we read that passage, and as we've read this context, it is, it is a troubling passage. Uh, it is talking to us about days that are coming that are very difficult. And as Jesus describes these coming days, he talked about them in the context of last week's passages as being like birth pains. Think of a mother who is pregnant and the contractions beginning, the painful contraptions. Contract, con- easy for me to say, the painful contractions coming, that these contractions, they're painful. If the delivery is going to happen, that they're inescapable. But these birth pains also are increasing in intensity. And as Jesus describes what's happening to our world, he is describing to us this this age that is ending and a new age that is coming. The time when he is going to return, and he's describing his return in the context of a birth, that the world is going to be going through contractions, and these painful events are going to be happening until he returns. And these painful events are inescapable, and as the end gets nearer and nearer, they increase in intensity. 
Well, Jesus is teaching this passage that is called the Olivet Discourse. In the first part of this chapter, he's been describing some of the things that are going to be, what they're going to be like. But the disciples have actually asked, hey, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen and what are the signs? And in our passage this morning, Jesus gives them a significant sign to help them to know that, that, that this birth is coming and it's getting close. And so we're going to read about this beginning this morning in verse 14. So if you'll follow along with me in your passage, in your scriptures, it says this, begins by saying this, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop go down, not to enter his house, not to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field turn back and take his cloak. Verse 17, he goes on and says, And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened those days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand, but in those days, after the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be fallen from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory, and they will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds into the ends of the earth into the ends of the heaven." As Jesus is teaching us in this, he is talking about these terrible days coming. And when Jesus begins in verse 14, he talks about this abomination of desolation. And when you see it, he basically says, run for your lives. That you need to be getting ready for these times, this time that is coming. It's an unavoidable trouble. It is coming and his, current, his charge is to run for your lives. When he describes this, he is saying that you don't go back. He's describing what's happened in verse 14. He calls it the abomination of desolation. Now, just reading that word, regardless if we don't know what it means, it sounds bad, right? Abomination of desolation. It's a very troubling kind of a phrase. But if we think about what does it mean, an abomination of desolation? Well, an abomination is a detestable act. An abomination is something that should not happen, something that's unacceptable, it's inappropriate, it's horrific. It is an act that is so terrible that it results in desolation and leaving something desolate. And so in many ways we can see the abomination of desolation is an abomination that leads to desolation. We would think about this, what this would be like in maybe a personal life. Suppose you own a home and that um, some criminals come and they, there's such a crime that takes place in your home, such a horrific act that you're like, we're not living here anymore. 
we're abandoning this place. We're, the house will be desolate. It's this detestable, unacceptable act, and we're going to abandon it. Well, this idea of abomination of desolation would have been familiar to Jesus' readers. They would have been familiar to them because this is spoken of in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11, and chapter 12, all use this phrase of an abomination and desolation. And in the Jewish history, in the time when Jesus is speaking of this, about 200 years earlier in 167 B.C., there was a Syrian general named um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And this, Roman, this Syrian general, he marched into Jerusalem and conquered the city. And when he conquered the city in this time frame, he conquered the city and he went into the temple. The temple that was to be the place of the Jews where they worshipped. It's the holy place. It is the most sacred place that they have. This general marched in there. And over the altar that was there, he built another altar. He built an altar to the false god of Zeus, this horrible act. And then, to top it off, he takes a pig, an unclean animal, an animal that Jews weren't even supposed to touch. He brings a a pig into the temple and slaughters it on that altar. For the Jewish people, this was an abomination, a horrible act that in many ways would communicate an abandonment of the temple. And so they're familiar with this idea of a horrific act. And as he hears here this abomination of desolation, that Antiochus Epiphanes was a forerunner to what is yet to come. It's a forerunner to what is yet to come. We read about this in the book of 1 John. In 1 John 2.18, we, we talk about these ones who are coming, and it says this. He says, children, talking to believers, it is the last hour. Okay, labor's begun. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. This Antichrist is one who opposes God, that he is a false Christ, that he is a counterfeit Messiah, a false Savior. It says that you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. There are many people who have opposed Jesus and set themselves up as Christ, who are false Christs. Many have come. He says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. That the last hour is by marked by people coming and declaring to be a Savior, declaring themselves to be God. And and Jesus, in our passage, is saying, don't be deceived by them. But whenever this last one, the one that says the Antichrist is coming, that we read about that in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I have it on the screen here. It says this. Let no one deceive you in any way. That's the theme deception it's going to seem real but let no one deceive you in any way for that day the day of the return of christ it will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above everything that is called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of god proclaiming himself to be God. So this coming event, this abomination of desolation is one when this Antichrist, this one who is declaring himself to be God and is going to be drawing all the world to worship him, he's going to set himself up in the temple of God to be worshipped as God. It's an abomination that will leave the, that the, that will leave the temple desolate. And Jesus says in our passage, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, it says, let the reader understand 
that's us, we're the reader, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's saying, you see this taking place, get out of Dodge. It's bad. And and he says it's so bad. He says, don't hesitate. He says, don't hesitate. He says in verse 15, let one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. He's talking about this destruction coming at such a pace that even if you're like uh, you're on outside of your house, don't go back in for anything. You think, well, the, the food you've stored for a day such as this, the guns that you have and the ammunition that you're going to have to take care of yourself, he says, don't go back for any of it. You don't have time. This is going to come so quickly that it's just not time to get from your roof in the house and get out. He's saying, get out. It's coming quickly. He goes on in verse 16. He says, let the one who is in the fields not turn back to take his cloak. So you're out working in the field. It's a little chilly out. And you've taken your coat off to work. And you see it coming. He says, don't even go grab your coat. There's an urgency about this. The trouble that's coming is significant. It's going to happen quickly. He goes on and he says in verse 17, he talks about women who are pregnant and nursing mothers. He says, man, just hope it doesn't happen that time. Hope that it doesn't happen at that time because for them to travel quickly and to move quickly, if you're pregnant, you're not moving fast. You've got a nursing child, you're not moving quickly. And he says, pray that's not you. And then he says, pray in verse 18 that it doesn't happen in the winter. In the winter in Israel, it's a rainy season and so there are rivers and it makes it hard to travel. But he's describing a time of terrible trial, terrible destruction. And he is saying, get out. He goes on to describe how bad it's going to be in verse 20. It says, If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. That's bad. He goes on, But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. He's saying that, that in this time, as we would open our Bibles, the book of Revelation, and read about these times, that we would see that this is a time of, of famines, of wars, of plagues, of the judgment of God. And all of this is decimating the world population. When we think about the news that we're hearing now about a virus in China spreading and it's taken a, a, a couple hundred lives, it's very serious. But this plague and the stuff that is coming and the destruction and the wars, it is going to spread across our world like an unstoppable wildfire. In Revelation, it describes in chapter 9, verse 15, it talks about one-third of mankind being killed. A few verses later, it talks about, in verse 18, another third of a world population being killed. I mean, that's a vast number. I mean, if we do the math, our current population of the world is about 7.5 billion people. You think a third of those people dying and then another third dying, that is 4.2 billion dead people. Unimaginable. An unimaginable kind of, of, of trouble that is coming upon our world. And he says that, it is, that there's nothing in history compares to it. And we think about the, in the early part of the last century of what happened in Russia and 10 million Russians being killed. We read of, uh, of, of in Vietnam and the, the, the death fields there. We read about the killing fields. 
We, we read about the Nazi Germany seeking to exterminate the Jews and six million people killed and horrible. And it's saying that what's coming, those don't hold, those don't, aren't even comparable. It is a time of destruction that is unimaginable to us. And yet in this passage it says this, but for the sake of the elect, those he chose, he shortened the days. And so this wildfire of death that is spreading across the world that God puts an end to it for the sake of believers. For the sake of the elect, those whom He's chosen, those who will believe in the gospel. And so as we hear this, we recognize that, that, that we need to be running for our lives, but He also says to us that we need to be able to trust the mercy and the grace of God. For those who are His, He loves us, He cares about us, to the point where He puts a hold on these, this destruction that's coming in the world for our benefit. We see the kindness and the grace of God. He goes on, though, when he says in verse 20, 21, If anyone says to you, look, there is the Christ, or here he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. There are going to be miracle workers. There are going to be people doing amazing signs, and people are going to believe it. And we, we would think, well, why would be people be so Believe, willing to believe these things. Well, a couple reasons. One is because things are so bad. Things are so bad that people are looking for hope anywhere. Who is going to deliver us from this? Who is going to rescue us? And then it talks about people being able to do these miraculous wonders. And I'm like, what is that all about? Is it deception? Is it demonic? What is going on? But, and it doesn't describe clearly as to why it's all happening, but it says that they're going to be so convincing, the only people that won't be deceived are the believers. And, and what we would see is that we must not be led astray, be led astray by miracle workers who claim to be from God. And he says, it's interesting, he says that those who will not be led astray are the elect. And we think, well, why is that? Is it because that we have such a degree of discernment that we can look and we say, well, that miracle is not from God, and that one is? Well, I would argue that they're probably going to be very convincing and looking like supernatural acts that we maybe, well, I don't know why we don't believe it. But the reason why I would say the elect and the believers don't buy into it is because we are not a people who live by sight, but who live by faith. We're people who do not determine what we're going to do and what we're going to believe based on our experiences. We base what we believe and what we're going to do on the Word of God. And we believe the Word of God. We believe that it's inspired, that it is inerrant, that it is infallible, that it is sufficient for all of life. We believe the Bible is all of these things. And so when we look at our world and we would see these these miraculous kind of signs that we are not going to simply let our eyes tell us what's true. We're going to look at the Word of God and listen to what those who are performing the signs are saying. And we're going to compare what they're saying to the Word of God and we're going to realize what they're saying does not line up with the Word of God. As real as those miracles may be, that individual is not from God. Our tool of discernment is the Word of God. And I would tell you that needs to be our rule of discernment today. Because it is very easy for us to determine what's right and what's wrong based on our experience. 
And we think, well, what's true when we read about things the Bible describes as, as being sinful? And we look in our world and thinking, but how can such nice people be sinners? Well, we look in the mirror and we realize we're sinners and we're pretty nice. But we don't reevaluate the Word of God based on our experience. We interpret experience on the Word of God. And so, that we must not be deceived by false teachers. Well, he then finishes verse 23 by saying, Be on guard. Be on guard. And he's saying, pay attention and be prepared. All of these birth pains, all the contractions, all the trouble in the world, they're telling us the end is coming, but it doesn't tell us when. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready for these times that are coming that are unbearable. Well, verse 24, he goes on and he continues to build on our understanding of this. And he says in verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, so after this great period of trouble, as it's all coming to an end, in verse 24, as that's winding down, it says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in heaven will be shaken and then, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. It's a great promise that not only do we need to get ready for unbearable trouble, but we also need to get ready for the coming of Jesus. That Jesus who left, He is coming back. He's risen from the dead, has ascended into heaven, and He says that He is coming. And as we look at what is going on, it says, The sun's darkened. The moon doesn't give its light. The stars falling from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. That our whole cosmos, the whole universe is shaking in many ways at the coming of Jesus. That as He enters into our world, and it says that He comes in power and glory, all of these things are going to be unfolding. And it says that the whole world, that all will see Him. And I don't know how all will see Him. I don't know if it's through technology that, you know, Jesus comes back and everything, it's all on everybody's phones. I don't know if God bends light in such a way that everybody's able to see it. We don't know. But what it says is everybody's going to see it. And what we're going to experience is this chaos in our universe. It says stars falling, sun darkened, moon not giving its light. And we'd summarize it this way, that there is a cosmic chaos that is going to accompany the coming of Jesus. It follows all the trouble that are here on earth, but it marks the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, that He will return. He will return in the clouds with power and glory. When I read this passage, my this is a Steve Wicker imagination, so I'm not sure this is how it works out in Scripture, so you can throw it away. But I think that when Jesus is coming back, He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the most glorious, the most powerful thing there is in the universe. When He shows up in all of His glory and power, that He is such a powerful being that it is going to throw the gravitational pull and the magnetic forces of the sun, moon, and stars, it's going to just throw them all out of order. And His glory is so bright that it's going to make the sun look like a nightlight that His glory is shining bright and so the sun is dark and the moon doesn't give light. Why not? Because the power and the glory of Jesus is the most significant thing that is, there is. And when He shows up, all of this is going to be unfolding. 
And so we see this, and it says that we're going to see Jesus, and it says he's going to come in the clouds. And that should be a reminder to us. If we're Bible students and we've been reading our Bibles in the book of Acts, that we read that Jesus, after his resurrection and he ascended into heaven, that he ascended and he went into the clouds. And when that happened, the disciples were all gathered around and Jesus ascends to the clouds and they're all looking up and like, whoa. And it says, and two angels show up and says, men of Galilee, why are you looking up? And he says, he who has ascended, he will come back in the same way. How did he go up? He went up into the clouds. How's he coming back? He's coming back in the clouds. And when Jesus then, those disciples are told, as Jesus has ascended to heaven, that Jesus had told them, get busy. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth, you have a job to do. And so quit looking up and get busy. And we see the disciples get busy. They begin proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and it spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and it goes all over the world to Crawfordsville, Indiana. The gospel of Jesus Christ is reached here because of their faithfulness. And as we read about this unfolding events, it says to us then in verse it says to us then in verse 27. And then he, this is Jesus who's returned He sends out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And Jesus sends these angels out to gather believers from all over the world. That God has a grand plan for his people. And the grand plan ultimately consummates by God's people being with their Savior Jesus Christ that they're gathered together to be with Him forever and ever to the end of the age, that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. His throne's going to be there. There's not going to be a need for the Son because He is going to be the light. And this is the hope. This is where God is taking all of this. And as we read this passage, what we're told, we are charged to get ready, that we need to be ready for this. And I would say, how do we get ready? We be by being full. This morning, I want to take a little bit of time this morning to talk about what it is that God wants us to be doing as a church. As the disciples looked up when Jesus was ascended, the next thought they clearly had was, it's time to go. The Holy Spirit was poured out and they were empowered to go and do the work of ministry that God had called them to do. And that's what God's called us to do. As a church, He calls us to be faithful. Um, this past week, we've wrapped up our, our, annual, our 2019 annual report. And oftentimes, we have these reports and we'll send them to you. They're in your inbox now. Uh, if, you, if you receive any emails, we've got some copies out here. But in 2019, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the things that God did in our midst this last year. And I want to talk about those in light of where we are in 2020 and where we're going. Because if we're to be ready for the coming of Jesus, we need to ensure that we are being faithful. Jesus said he's going to build his church. We're his church. Are we doing what he's called us to? So, in 2019, I've got a long list of things that God's done. This past year, we saw we had several individuals baptized and a number of people come into membership in 2019. 
In 2019, we worked together as a church to memorize Romans chapter 12. As we walked through 2019, we held four nights where we dedicated ourselves to prayer. In 2020, we're going to have six of those, a time for us to be faithfully praying together to our God. Back in the spring, we hosted a service opportunity fair to call out people, to encourage people to get involved in different ministries. In 2019, Jude graduated from seminary. In 2019, Sean Baker led a couple of greeter training meetings to help us ensure that when people come, we're greeting them well. In 2019, Larry Musselman led our deacons, a group of them, through a change, some updates in our constitution that we then got to the church family and spent time gathering input and then voted on changes to our constitution. Last year, Kenyon Utterback and Robert Tarter worked as a team with a team of others to put a new roof on the parsonage, that we continue to update our facility by painting a variety of places, getting a new stove in the old kitchen, sealing our parking lot, doing repairs to the Kay's house next door. Uh, This past year, we made Right Now Media, the online streaming service available to the church family to be able to get in good resources into our homes. This past year, Jude created a music ministry manual, a music ministry manual to guide our music team and to, to ensure that we're accomplishing the purposes that we want to as a church, as a music team. Pastor Nate updated our child protection policy. Robert and Debbie Tarter organized a fantastic kickoff to our pioneer clubs. We had tons of families and kids here for that night. It was a great night. We hosted a a friend day at Twin Lakes Camp. From our vine work in terms of ministry, we spent time this past year talking about prayer, evangelism, and discipling, about these being primary priorities. The deacons read through books on each one of those. The deacons also read through a book called Budgeting for a Healthy Church. Steve Mason led our finance team meet through a study of that book, and we put together a budget at the end of last year that was going to be a stretch to us. At the time when we put together the budget, it was 10% above our current giving, and we're like, I don't know if this is wise or not. But as we looked at information that we had gathered, we realized that was a faithful, a budget that was faithful. And what we've seen in the last part of last year and even in January of this year, that your faithfulness is helping us to meet that budget, that we are right on target. It's exciting to see that. This year, this, in 2019, we began using Answers in Genesis as our Sunday morning kids ministry. We want our kids equipped to be dealing with the challenges that they face in a, grow, a world that is growingly hostile towards Christianity. We're using curriculum to help them. We've had kids singing in our morning services. On Sunday nights, our Junction kids are studying the New City Catechism. It's a catechism. It's a question and answer way to learn theology. We're teaching our kids good theology. We participated in the National Night Out, an event in the park to promote our Wednesday night ministries. One of the neat things we have in the past year, we did put the numbers together, 75% of our youth in our youth group are serving consistently on Wednesday nights. That we are seeking to train the next generation so that, so that whenever our students graduate from high school, that they've not just been served all this time through high school, but they've been serving, they're engaged in the work of ministry. In addition to that 75%, we have others that are helped with soccer camp and work days. Our teens took a mission trip to northern Indiana to help Nathan Becca Mason with the Baptist Children's Home and Work Projects. 
We've had several students stepping up to help in our sound ministry, the tech crew, mowing our facility, helping with the music ministry, the van ministry. Lots gone on the last past year. We had a handful of people from our church attend the Gospel Coalition Conference with our pastors. Our music team worked through a couple of books to ensure that we are focusing on the right things in our music ministry. We added some new musicians to our team. We purchased new microphones for our music team. We reshaped our Sunday evening service to purposefully include time for prayer for our church family, for our missionaries, but also praying for other gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches in our community. We want to be praying for them. We want to see churches in our community working together to engage us with the gospel. Uh, This past year that uh, we've continued to equip individuals in biblical counseling, we raised $1,635 through a dessert auction. Did you that $1,600 through a dessert auction that we gave to Jude and Bree for their ministry and heading out? This past year, we, we began our small group ministries. We started a ministry to the death that our missions budget, we gave $53,750 to our missionaries. We gave an additional $6,800 to works that included Through the Gate Ministry, Trinity Life Mission, uh, the Women's Resource Center, Twin Lakes Camp. Uh, Part of that went to an oxygen condenser that we bought for Randy Fry, the son of one of our missionary couples. We've seen kids come to Christ through our pioneer clubs, through soccer camp. We've seen people come to Christ through our counseling ministry. We had eight of our students invest their whole summer serving at Twin Lakes Camp. Through our Helping Hand ministry, we, had, we helped 28 different families and individuals uh, with a total of $5,400. We had one salvation through that. We had four people attend church. As we think about these things, our emphasis last year has been on faithfulness. And that faithfulness is something that we're going to continue in 2020, continuing that emphasis that we desire to, to help people, to give people help and hope for a brighter day. We want to be helping others. We want to be speaking the truth in love so that others come to know, love, and live for Jesus. That is our heartbeat. As we've stepped into 2020 in this whole idea of getting ready and understanding Jesus is coming back, that we are continuing to move in 2020, we've already added five new members to our church and we have two more coming next week. In our brighter day counseling ministry, we are currently counseling four men from Trinity on Wednesday nights. Um, Our teen group, on Wednesday night teen group, they've outgrown the upstairs room, and we've moved them down to the chapel, to the extra room. Already this year, we've had two students in pioneer clubs profess faith in Jesus Christ. We have a safety team that is working on plans to minimize the risk and help keep us safe. You see some guys walking around with earpieces in, just being alert to what's going on. Thankful for that. This year, the deacons talked last week and, or a couple of weeks ago in our meeting, Emily Klompenstein, who many of you know is Emily Ginter, who grew up here, uh, lives in France. And Emily is, is involved in a church and is continuing to serve the Lord. And there's a group of churches that um, have, a, have established a cafe. And they've asked Emily to kind of be the business leader of that and oversee that staff. And many of the staff are unbelievers. This whole cafe is set up to see people come to know Christ and build relationships. And they've asked Emily to lead that. And Emily's asked us to be her sending church. 
And what that means is, for, she said, there's no financial commitment. I just want my church family from the United States to be an encouragement and to be a help. A lot of neat things going on. As we think about where God has us, and as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, and we don't know when, that we need to be ready. That we need to be ready spiritually. As a body of Christ, as believe, first of all, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to be ready. You need to repent and believe the gospel. And you can do that in the pew. I appreciate Crystal's testimony, talking about how after church, during church one day, she just realized, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. Sat down in the pew and trusted him. Maybe that's you today. That's maybe where you need to be. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are called to be engaging in this ministry together, that God wants the whole body serving together, and that we would be investing our time to be practically meeting the needs of others around us that we would be disciplining ourselves for godliness, growing and changing. As we think about what now, that one of the challenges I would encourage us as we seek to be ready for the coming of Jesus is that we would continue to grow in faithfulness in every area of our lives. In your marriage, in your family, at work, in your personal time, in your private time, that in all parts of your life, you're thinking, God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to you, that you would be practicing the spiritual disciplines, that you would have a hunger and thirst to be more and more like Jesus Christ and realizing that comes by disciplining yourself for godliness. Reading your Bible, praying, being in church, memorizing Scripture, those aren't disciplines just to discipline ourselves. They're disciplines to make us godly, to be growing in those. But they would also growing, that we'd be encouraging one another, that you would play along in name tag week and, and month and being able to meet other people and look at name tags and think, okay, I know their name now. I've seen them for months and I know they introduced me, but I didn't want to ask their name again. Go look at their name tag this month, okay? Got it on right? Encourage each other. As we are a church, we want to solve problems as they come up. Listen, Jesus is indeed coming back. And I want us to be found faithful, to see us as individuals and as a church eagerly serving him, moving the ministry forward so that when he comes back that we can hear him say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That that would drive us that he would say that as us as a church and as individuals. And so when he does come back in these clouds, that, that, that in many ways as he comes back, that he would find us confident in him, confident in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we know that we're acceptable to him because of what he's done, but our hand is the plow, and we'd also be confident because the sweat on our brow would indicate that we have been working hard in the ministry that he's given to us. But that's what we would do, that we would be faithful. And I pray this morning that your desire is that you would hear Jesus say to you, well done. We've read this morning, he's coming back. We need to be ready as individuals and as a church. And as we recognize he's coming back, that we would realize the days are short. We don't know when he's coming back, but it's a day closer than it was yesterday. And that we would let that passion drive us to engage with others, to be growing. That's the heartbeat. I pray that God would capture your heart with that.
being thankful for what God's done for us in 2019, review that annual report, but then recognize, God, thank you for that. Let's go. That's where we would be. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to, after we pray, we're going to sing a song as we wrap up, and, and um, just want to encourage you to be thinking, am I faithful? Am I confident that I would hear my Lord say to me, well done when he returns? Let us pray. Father, thank you for the grace that you give to us in Christ. Thank you that you have told us not simply that you are coming back, but you've given us indications about the growing trouble in our world that's coming. But Lord, I pray that we would not let that frighten us, that would motivate us to serve you faithfully, to be diligent, to recognize that you're that hold us tight, and that because of that, that we have all that's coming. There are confidence with you. Lord, as we look to 2020 and beyond, to have great hope, and confidence in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.